1: focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the Makers of Minnesota. Hi,
0: this is Stephanie Hansen, and you're listening to the Makers of Minnesota, where we talk to people in Minnesota doing cool things. Thank you for listening to the podcast every week. We are on episode at number 68, which seems amazing that we've talked to 68 very cool entrepreneurs doing cool things. Uh, This week, we are talking to co-founder and CEO of Whole Me Food Products, Mary, is it Kosir? Kosir. Kosir. Mary, welcome to the program. Thank you. Um, Let's just talk for a second about Whole Me because that's such an interesting name for a food product because it kind of in some ways I'm like... It, when you just hear the name Whole Me, you think like vitamins or soap or there's a million different things you can think of. How did you think of the name? You know, I thought of the name,
1: I would say about five years before I actually started the company. Really? And um, and that was when I was just kind of tossing around this idea of gluten-free, grain-free snacks. Um, and again, about a decade ago when there wasn't a lot going on in that space.
0: So are you gluten-free yourself? And is that why you came up with the need? You know, I came up with
1: the... Uh, concept after my husband was diagnosed as an adult with type 1 diabetes. Okay. So this was about 10 years ago. He was just in his late 30s, and boom, all of a sudden, he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So from one day to the next, insulin dependent. And as a family, we quickly had to kind of change how we ate just so that we could better manage those blood sugar levels. How did you feel like you ate before the diagnosis? You know, I think it's all its all relative. I, I think I thought I was eating pretty healthy. Yep. And what we became aware of very quickly was how many grams of sugar were in everything. And, and it's, it's like the hidden
0: sugars. It's yes. not like you're just sitting there with a tablespoon yes. at the sugar I pot. mean, my kids
1: were having what I thought was, you know, perfectly fine, healthy cereal for breakfast. But, ooh, yep. you know, after we started reading the labels a little bit more closely, it wasn't the case.
0: And in the beginning, because we've done, uh, I've done a radio show about food for, I think, 11 years. And in the beginning, gluten-free was really challenging. You know, right. people, one of the questions people would ask us all the time are, you know, what are some gluten-free restaurants? And we would kind of recommend the vegetarian restaurants just because that was safe. Now, gluten-free is pretty ubiquitous. Right. Um, so in the day when you started Whole Me, what was it that you felt like was missing from the marketplace and where was the whole I mean, we were really looking
1: to pull out preservatives from our food. And so what we did is we went through the pantry and started pulling out, you know, as I was looking into autoimmune disease as well and looking at things that would be good for the, you know, a type 1 diabetic, but also good for, you know, an autoimmune disease in general. We were looking for things that would not cause any inflammation in the body, which meant pulling out grains and glutens. And so we were looking for substitutes for flours and sugars, and, you know, I started relying heavily on nuts and seeds. Right. And that kind of led to, you know, some creative time in the kitchen, which led to the creation of what ultimately was Whole which were these refrigerated bars that I created in my kitchen, and then some replacements for cereals. So that my kids, at the same time as my husband was going through this, I wasn't cooking multiple meals. We were all eating the same food. Right. And I just wanted it to taste great, but yet not have a lot of chemicals in it.
0: So you're cooking like this for your family. And at what point do you realize, like, what were you doing business-wise at that time. Were you in business or were you a stay-at-home mom? No, I was actually, I spent uh, 21 years at the University of Minnesota.
1: So I was fully employed. I was at the Carlson School of Management. I was um, an administrator there. And, um, you know, I was just chugging along with my career, had no intention
0: of being an entrepreneur. <laughs> so you're making these products at home. And do you remember, like, yeah. what it was that tripped your trigger to make it a business? Well,
1: what happened was I was starting to bring in some of what I was creating in the kitchen into my gym on the weekends. And um, I was a member of a of a small gym here in St. Paul. And so I'd bring some of my bars and some of my cereal into the gym. And people were like, wow, this is really good. Or this is not so good. Right. And I would go back home and I would try something else. And the next weekend, I'd have something different for everybody to try. And the owner of the gym um, was like, wow, I think you're onto something here. Could you bring some more of those bars in because I'm doing this event next week? And I said, sure. You pay for my ingredients. I'll bring them in. And so that's sort of how it got started, you know. And he was... Uh, The owner of the gym would kind of bring my bars in for events, and people were like, wow, if these were in the grocery store, I'd buy them. Mm -hmm. And I thought, hmm,
0: interesting. So how much, or I read that you started a Kickstarter to get started. So tell me about that. We did. That was about
1: five years ago or so. Um, We really wanted to see if there was something to our idea. Were you at? Were you in grocery at the time you did the Kickstarter? We were just getting started. We weren't. I think we were maybe in three retail shops and in a handful of CrossFit
0: gyms, and And that was it. At what point? Like, how much money? Do you remember how much money you like set aside? And you were like, "This is the money I'm going to use to start my small business." I was not quite that disciplined. Okay, so <laughs> let's just go back to the time where you're spending money. You've spent money mm-hmm. maybe on graphic design. You've spent money on packaging. Yes. And you're not really sure because you're just sort of paying as you go. Do you remember feeling like, wow, I don't even know how much I've spent. I need to get like more serious about this. Do you remember that day? Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think when I started... You know, early on, I thought
1: of the name Whole Me. I thought there was something to this concept. Um, I actually spent some time fleshing out a business plan, um, hired a consultant to kind of help me with some renderings and some basic information. And then I kind of sat back and I thought, huh, that's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. I have a full-time job (laughs) and I'm not sure if I want to do this. I
0: understand.
1: And that's when I started thinking, well, maybe I don't have to do it alone. Maybe I can find someone to partner with. And actually, that's what I did, is I found a woman um, who is my co-founder now, Krista Steinbach. And uh, I really felt like, you know, I can bring something to this business if we're to really make a go of it. But I'm sort of an accidental entrepreneur, and I'm also not a foodie at heart. I kind of just started experimenting out of necessity. And um, maybe if I could find somebody who was a foodie. Um, that would be a good mix. How did you meet Krista? Again, I met her at my gym. <laughs> wow. Um, so um, I had gotten to know her husband, um, and I knew that he and his wife were alum of the Carlson School, which mm-hmm. is where I was working. Um, so I kind of made the connection, and Krista at the time um owned a small um bake shop in town um that made kind of specialty cupcakes and macaroons. Um, so I actually, I got to know her. I had known her for a while in that business and then she had left that and she was the pastry chef for a uh, bachelor farmer. And so when I approached her with this idea of whole me, she was actually at the bachelor farmer. Right. And, um, and that was, we actually just are celebrating our five years as business partners this month.
0: When you decided to get a business partner and you sit down and you talk to her, were there qualities that you were looking for that? Like, what was it about her in particular?
1: With her, I was looking for somebody who knew the ins and outs of food, who also could be kind of an innovator for whole me, who could bring um, the idea behind the concept that I had to life and be kind of the innovation and the food brainchild behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in in retrospect, there are a whole lot of skills I could have been looking for, but I was really
0: looking for somebody Who knew food? It's kind of funny that that's why I'm kind of poking at this a little bit because I find it funny that the skill sets that you. Reached out for were in the product taste food development side. Yeah, when you already had a product per se. Right, I did, and I
1: thought, well, you know,
0: I think she could
1: bring this to a whole new
0: level. Yeah, that's interesting. And she did. Yeah, she did actually. Um,
1: and so that's what's kind of unique about it. And and she had, I knew she had a nice solid business background. Yeah, which is also what I was looking for. And she'd been in and out of a couple of other small
0: businesses, which I had never done before. So. And being a member of the Carlson School in the faculty side of it, in the admin side, did you, were you able to access the resources? That's a very you know, strong school for entrepreneurs. Yeah, I, I would say
1: probably the, you know, one of my biggest assets is my network mm-hmm. and my, you know, relationships, you know, within the business community, the nonprofit community, the extended, you know, entrepreneurial community. So I was able to really bring that, I think, to the forefront and, you um, you know, knowing how to quickly kind of access different people for different kinds of conversations, depending on what we needed. And so to this day, that continues to be really probably one of my biggest strengths.
0: So you did the Kickstarter right around the same time that you met Krista? Sure, after with her? I met Krista and
1: we decided to make a go of it, um I would say about 6 months later, we we, we were doing our Kickstarter. And you raised a lot of money. You guys raised $40,000. That yeah. seems like a lot of money to yeah, me. Yeah, it was quite a bit of money. I mean, we were really at that point in time we were um like I said we had a handful of accounts. But um, And we were renting kitchen space out of a commercial kitchen on an hourly basis, and um, we were hoping to be able to invest in some semi-automated labeling machine and some new packaging um, as we were sort of getting ready to
0: scale, mm-hmm. and um, which is exactly what we did with the, the money. And you went from originally doing kind of bars and grain cereals to what you have now, which are clusters, Mm -hmm. not bars at all. Why did you make the switch in um, the type of delivery?
1: Right. Well, about a, let's see, a little over a year ago, um, as we were thinking about kind of what's next for the company and looking to scale a little bit more aggressively than we had been, um, we were looking at our bars, and we had these two grain-free bars that were, they are amazingly delicious. Mm -hmm. Um, they do have egg in them. They're kind of like a cake-like bar. Yeah. And so they required refrigeration. And at this point in time, um, we were really one of the only players in the refrigerated bar space. Um, But people would take a bar, throw it in their workout bag, forget about it. And the unfortunate thing about a really fresh product like that is if you forget about it, Unlike some of the bars that are on the marketplace that, you know, six months later look and taste the same. Yeah, this one grows mold. And so we thought, wow, it's kind of a costly proposition to do all of the educating necessary to not only the buyers in the stores, but also to our consumers on how to how to how to keep this bar fresh and as you don't we want were, to
0: be doing the missionary work on a brand new category, yeah, we necessarily just simply as didn't have business. the capital
1: yeah. to be able to do that. So I tell people, we still have a lot of fans who are like, When are you going to bring those bars back? And I think, you know, they're kind of like Disney that we put them in the vault. And hopefully, as we're better, you know, in a more strategically strong position when it comes to cash flow and capital, we could reintroduce them. Because now, actually, if you look at the marketplace, people have started to establish that refrigerated bar category. Yeah,
0: and there's like refrigeration for the flaxseed oils yeah. and some of that kind of I right mean, up front by the registers. And
1: perfect yeah. bars and all wella bars and you know, we <laughs> yep. we wouldn't be the first player, which also helps a little bit given our size.
0: I was wondering too like the bar space seems so competitive because mm. there were just so many not in the refrigerated section necessarily, but is there less competition as a cluster or cuz you're in the granola section of the store? So yeah,
1: right now we actually I would say about 80% of our distribution is in the granola section, but our product is still pretty unique because it's a it's a pretty dense cookie-like cluster. So mm-hmm. it's soft and you can either, you know, you can put milk on it, you can eat it by itself straight from the bag almost like a bar or you can put it on a smoothie or a yogurt bowl or whatever. So we're 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 pretty unique in that space, um, but we're also starting to get increased distribution in the better for you snack set. And so I think in both of those places, our product plays really well. Have you quit your job? Yes. And when did you quit? <laughs> <laughs> I quit my job
0: uh, a year ago, July. So about eighteen months ago. And do you did you get to like how did you make that decision? Because I think that's a decision that a lot of small business entrepreneurs. It's just like it's like one of the hardest decisions that they make.
1: It was really difficult. And again, I'm, you know, I'm middle aged woman and I had really established what I think was a great career in higher education. I left as dean of the undergraduate program at the Carlson School, which some people would say, why would you ever leave a job like that? Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, you know what? I had held that job for about 10 years. I had built a great network. I was really proud of what I had done. And I was truly ready for kind of the next step in my career. Um, I also had a mentor at the time who had been helping me think through Whole Me and its launch. And I remember, you know, very specifically when she said to me, Mary, you know, if you're going to give this your all, you can't do it part-time. You cannot be a part-time entrepreneur and be successful.
0: We've talked about that with other folks on the show, that there's really a reckoning of, kind of your hobby business, and then you're deciding to go all in and make it your business. Did you, so you have a family, I'm assuming. I do, yes. Um, And so do you, like, go home to your family and say, like, we're going to go down to one income? What is this going to look like? I I mean, practically, Mm -hmm. did you know, like, okay, this is how much money I can make, and this is how long it's going to take me? Was money a consideration, or did you have enough cushion from your partner? Mm Mm-hmm. You know what? Um, it's been a consideration all along the road. It's, it's actually
1: much more difficult than I anticipated it being. I also think, you know, I'm at an age where I'm in probably the highest or some of the highest earning potential of yep. my career. And I've left that behind to be, you know, part of this emerging brand. And it's a struggle. My husband, um, before I quit my job, my husband um, took about a year, year and a half out of his job, and he was kind of a freelance consultant in healthcare, but spent it helping hold me. Mm-hmm. And you know, as we were planning my transition, which was a little bit longer just because of my duration at the university, I didn't want to do it, you know, two weeks notice. Yep. there was there was quite a bit of transition and planning sure. to make sure it was thoughtful. And um, so we spent, you know, we've we've been on one income basically, for about three years now. And it's a continual challenge. I have a daughter who's a sophomore in college, a son who's a sophomore in high school. And so we're really, you know, pinching pennies like we've never done before yeah, in our I life. Yeah, I
0: completely appreciate where you're coming from on that. And that's why I'm, again, just poking at that, because it's one thing to have a business and to do it sort of after hours and your family's invested it's another thing to completely take your income and move that off the table and then still ask your family to do all the heart heavy lifting that it takes to support you and you know weekends right. and nights and packaging or whatever it is that you end up doing. and it's stressful is super
1: stressful. It's really stressful i would I would definitely say that it's been I mean fortunate for us, my husband and I we have to be in constant communication. On our own cash flow, not yep. to mention the businesses, but um, with college tuition and 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 high school happening and the juggling that it requires right now in our family, it's it's significant. It's very significant.
0: A lot of people, when they're working through their business challenges, um, they're able to ride that wave. It it sounds like. Do you have like a sense of where you need to get so that the pressure won't be so consistent.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic that we've got, um, you know, we're not a cash flow positive business yet. Mm-hmm. And so as we kind of work through our challenges over the coming year, I think by the end of 2018, we're going to be much better positioned yep. to really kind of hit 2019 and 2020 with.
0: A little bit more um, relief. A lot of people underestimate that it that takes more time than they thought. Right. So every business owner I've talked to quit their job maybe six months to a year too early, mm-hmm. and yet at the same time, it's never early enough because you right. have to take the leap and launch. Are you? Um, if you were giving words of advice, would you say you left too early? Would you have planned differently?
1: I don't think I left too early. Um I think, you know, and I and I don't regret when I left. I really do believe that the business needed me yeah, to move for forward. Sure. Um on the other hand, I think I think my husband and I weren't fully prepared for how long this and how transition be. would yeah. be till you can really get any sort of meaningful salary. Yeah. So it, and it's a long road and we're not there by any shape or form and uh so we um, could have tightened our belt sooner.
0: Yep. And we didn't. Good advice for people that Absolutely. are listening. Absolutely. Um, when you look into 2018, 2019, 2020, you're obviously super motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you think you need to take this product? Is it getting increased distribution? Is it getting distribution in other non-traditional areas?
1: Yeah, you know, we've we've experienced. I would say we've really been selling Whole Me, you know, and specifically our cluster line in earnest for the last three years. So we've had three consistent years of two X growth. Mm-hmm. That's great. We just hit our first. You know, we're just going to be over a million. Dollars this year, which is really exciting. It's that a, is exciting. It's a benchmark that a lot of companies don't make it to. That's right. Um, doesn't mean we're profitable. Like <laughs> I said before, which a lot of people assume: like you're selling that much, you must be profitable. Oh no, we're actually not. And um, I bet your ingredients are pretty
0: costly. Well,
1: and that's the biggest piece is that we're a nut and seed based company, and we're committed to being and dates a, too, right? Yeah, and we're so it's real. They're clean products. We're non-GMO Project verified, so the source of our ingredients matter. And uh, so our cost of goods are relatively high. Yep. You know, if we were using a lot of oats or, you know, sugars um, and flowers, it's, you know, the cost of goods can go down dramatically. Yeah. So that is, you know, a choice that we made going into this business. And we're still very committed to that. So what we really need to see happen over the next, I would say, 18 months is we need to continue to scale our business you know, we've got a really nice baseline of stores, just about 2,000 or so across the country. We do a great business in the natural and specialty food space, so mm-hmm. the Whole Foods of the world's Kowalski's, Lenz Byerly's. Um, And um, we need to keep building that base of business. We need to keep, you know, making sure that our velocities on the shelf are fast. But we also need to start getting some other additional accounts. You know, there are other kind of natural and specialty uh, retailers that we're targeting for twenty eighteen that will hopefully hopefully continue to build that base of business that we have.
0: I would assume that you're not making the product anymore, that you're at a co-packer. Is that yeah, correct?
1: That's correct. We made that transition about um well, two years ago in January. Do you miss making the product?
0: No. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: I knew you were gonna say oh, no, but I, I remember those I'd hair
1: ask. nets and, you know,
0: running off and yeah, you don't miss it. Oh my. In a in a day to day like Tomorrow, when you get up and you sit at your work desk, mm-hmm. what do you do every day? Like, do you call on accounts? Do you have a distribu- distributor that you manage the sales efforts that way? Mm-hmm. Like, literally, what do you do on a day to day basis? Well, my co founder,
1: Krista, and I have sort of divvied up um, a lot of the day to day kind of based on our skill sets. Sure. So, Krista manages operations, product innovation. And day-to-day financials for the business, I really focus on, I'm basically, for lack of another word, I'm, I'm the VP of sales. Yep. I'm working on um, marketing, um, all of our promotions. You um, do a lot of sampling? Do a lot of sampling and demos. We've got a nice little ambassador program, actually, that works well for us where we've got you know fans in the community out mm-hmm. doing demos on our behalf. Um, we've also got a small board of directors um, and a group of shareholders. And so I sort of manage a lot of the external relations for the company.
0: And so on a day-to-day basis, do you like pick up the phone and decide, like, you know, I'm going to call London and Barley's today?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, right tomorrow, for example, I'm getting ready to go to a small trade show in Las Vegas next week. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm getting all the samples and everything ready to ship to my hotel. So I'm ready for that show in Vegas. Yep. And then I go straight from Vegas to another Potential customer call, who I'm calling on for the second time in Chicago. And so for me, sales is a lot of what I'm doing. And so I'm managing both with customers, but also we use brokers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, usually they'll be setting up the appointments on our behalf. And depending on the broker and, and the meeting,
0: I'll be there right. or not. Have you, uh, I say this to be funny, but honestly, it's, I've never worked so hard as I have at trade shows. mm Are they the most just exhausting part of your business?
1: So exhausting. Um, I'm hoping this, I've never been to this one. It's a kind of a a specific trade show that I'm going to for a customer in in Las Vegas. So I don't think it's going to be quite like some of the typical ones. But Expo West every year, which is this huge natural products Mm -hmm. show in Anaheim every year, it's the hardest I ever work. And there's fancy food shows in January and Mm -hmm. June. They are grueling.
0: I never just, thought they'd be no, I thought and you're they'd on be your fun. feet for you know nine hours a day and um, plus your set up and I would have different pairs of shoes hidden underneath the blue just standing on those concrete floors and it's a grind. Yeah. They are they are difficult. And depending on who's walking by, you're also
1: kind of trying to see who's who and are there buyers going by that I need to be a little bit more excited
0: about. Yeah, and then there's the the days lose with their name tags and you can't yeah. quite see their names and, or they're turned over oh, and the people that just want the free samples. Oh, so yes. you gotta weed through those yes. people. Yes. And then the buyer that you're talking to a we call a freeloader Freddie. <laughs> so freeloader freddy comes by and you see the buyer you need to talk to and you can't get away fast enough and oh i remember it's, those yeah days. i
1: mean we've gotten we've gotten a little bit better at making sure they're staffed appropriately and we might even bring an ambassador or two just yep. because you
0: need breaks yeah for sure they're really intense um, when you think about marketing, do you spend a lot of money on marketing? Or we spend very little money on
1: marketing right now. I have a part-time, um, kind of social media coordinator sure. that works for us, and uh, she actually isn't even here in Minnesota. She's in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and um, so does it remotely for us. And she manages kind of our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just starting to get out on Pinterest. And um, that's been great. And, you know, she was she found us through kind of grassroots. She used to live here, um, loved our product. We had coffee a couple of times. And I was like, I just like you and your style. So she's come on board and organically grown, mm-hmm. you know, our social media following to what is really amazing, given the fact that we have no budget. Right. <laughs> and so what we've what we've built we've done organically good for you yeah. it gets harder and harder it to do does, that because a lot of people won't talk about your product for without for for free yeah they want some sort of payment beyond product and for a company our size that's pretty difficult right now still
0: yeah um you have a unique opportunity in the gym space yeah. in the So is, I mean, because that's not something every food product can go in. Do you focus on that space? You know, I think we could focus on it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, We're in a handful of
1: CrossFit gyms. Um, There's a local boutique studio called Alchemy. Yep, We're in all of those studios. And um, we're in a handful of kind of yoga studios. So our product does lend itself really well to that. We haven't quite figured out a strategic way to mobilize kind of a sales force to get into that more boutique side of gyms. But it's something that's kind of top of mind, and we continue to get into the the low hanging fruit at least here in the Twin yep. Cities market for sure.
0: Do you listen to podcasts or read business books, or how do you continue your education in having come from the Carlson School? Right, and... right. You know,
1: I'm always looking for good books to read. Um, Tim, Are there any? Jim Ferris is, yeah. is a favorite of mine. Um, I, you know, I, I look to him a lot. We also follow um, Traction. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you want to explain that to people that maybe don't know what it is? Yeah, traction. It's it's this um, EOS system, which stands for Entrepreneurial Operating System, which is a very sort of tactical way to approach business um, from as as a startup. You know, you're starting from small and you're growing, and you're trying to understand the different roles and responsibilities. And folks are sometimes wearing many hats, and it gives you a language in a in a way to really. Uh, strategically attack your business um, when you might not have the resources to, you know, handle it any other way. So for us, you know, it, it it gives you templates that you can build upon to create kind of who you are, your mission,
0: your goals, your marketing objectives, and it's been really helpful for us and it's a program that you sort of read the book and then you follow the independent disciplines and it's a reporting system right right it is and 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 there are very there are
1: there are consultants that i sure. wish we could hire to help us you know and guide us through you know a quarterly retreat right now you know we do that ourselves
0: and so you create the milestones let's just say the big rocks right, right the what rocks. are the goals yeah. and then you have the little rocks that support, support the, big, the rocks big rocks and the activities how often do you think, as an entrepreneur that's doing that system on your own, do you visit the big rocks? Or is it every day, like, are you really conscientious about, like, every day checking into that system? You know, it it, it, it it's directly related to
1: what's on fire in the business. I understand. And lately, cash flow's been on fire. Yeah. And so when we're really worried about, um, how we're going to manage through quarter one, 2018, some of those rocks aren't as important yeah, anymore because, because you're because just trying I to might keep not the lights be able on to pay and, this bill. Yep. <laughs> or ooh, that co-packer, yikes. Yep. You know, so it's, um, and, and, and at its essence, we should be more disciplined
0: about that, but sometimes it's really hard. I totally get it. What do you do to relieve stress? Uh I Just work out in your a lot. personal life. Do you? <laughs>
1: I do. What kind of workouts Thank do you goodness. like? So my neighbor Lisa is a um trainer and a choreographer, a dancer. Sure. And they built this amazing little um, workout studio above their garage, and they happen to live two houses down from me. Wow. So, and like so a neighborhood
0: exercise. Seriously, group. four or five
1: days a week, you're going to find me in her garage, and we're going to be just doing circuits or step, old school step aerobics, yep. and we
0: have a really good time.
1: That sounds and hilarious. Thank goodness, because it keeps me, I feel like it's my therapy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And just do you, are there other, um, makers that you collaborate with or other makers you admire that you yeah. want to share?
1: Actually, that's a great question. So um, one of the things that's been a tremendous help to me as a food entrepreneur is, um, and I don't know if you've talked to her or not, but um, there's, a, there's a group that's actually part of the Home Center at the Carlson School of Management. It's called Grow North, and it's a relatively new arm of the Home Center for Entrepreneurship. It's run by Lauren Pradhan. And she is amazing. You should have her on your podcast. Okay, Um, But she's created this means for food entrepreneurs in the Twin Cities community to come together and network in really meaningful ways. For example, she invited me and a small group of, I think there are nine of us in the Twin Cities. We come together monthly as part of um, this pilot program for the CEO Roundtable, where we're all from food businesses. We come together for a moderated discussion for four hours once a month, which is a huge commitment. Mm -hmm. Four hours doesn't sound like a lot, but for us to come together on the same day every month for four hours is nothing short of impossible. But we had to all commit to this up front. Lauren found funding for this, and we're able to really basically kind of open up the engines of our businesses and share in confidence with each other yep. what's going on and really use the group as consultants to help us solve problems. You're lucky to have that sort oh of a my resource. Gosh, I feel really fortunate. And yeah. um and the friendships
0: and the trust I think in the group is um unlike anything I've ever been a part of. It's pretty neat it sounds like we've been talking with Mary oh, say it again, cosier no Kosir. Cozer, sorry, yeah. I knew I was gonna do it wrong. From whole me and whole me are clusters of nuts and dates and goodness that are in like a granola type package. Um, You have is it four flavors now? That's right. Yeah. Okay. And Mm -hmm. you want to give us your four flavors? Sure. Yeah, we've got four flavors. Uh, Almond coconut
1: was our original flavor. We've got lemon berry chia, which is a little bit like a lemon poppy seed muffin in a bag. Really delicious. Cinnamon banana chip, which is uh, very cinnamon forward, um, tastes a little nice and wintry. Mm-hmm. And then our latest was a salted peanut chocolate. And what's your best good. seller? Our number one seller is almond coconut. Okay. And uh, salted peanut chocolate, which is our latest skew, is quickly taking market share. Isn't that share. funny because yes. that's your
0: latest one? Yes. yes. Well, yes. thank you so much for being on the Makers Podcast and good luck. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.